Hi everyone, and welcome back to the podcast, Be the Blank Your Mom Wants You to Marry. Alongside my co-host, Ariana Kennysburg, my name is Gabrielle Resnick, and we're excited you're here with us. The goal of our podcast is to be a guide for young women like ourselves exploring life and career paths. We will be broadcasting our conversations with successful women across industries and professions, offering an intimate look at the opportunities, challenges, and rewards for working women. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the program. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Fanny Hayim. Fanny Hayim was born in Colombia and today lives in Miami, Florida. She studied fine arts at the University of Los Andes in Colombia and later at the University of Miami. From 1972 to 1976, she apprenticed with Colombian artist David Manzer and exhibited in major galleries and museums in Colombia and Washington, D.C. Fanny is a state-licensed and registered interior designer whose artistic expertise have been successfully applied to over three decades of award-winning interior designs. From architects to designers, Fanny's company, the FH&A team, provides the combined skill of multidiscipline and talented design professionals. FH&A offers a full-service approach to all aspects of the design process to residential, commercial, and hospitality clients across the globe, including South Florida, China, New York City, Los Angeles, Mexico, Panama, Israel, and more. So we want to start off by talking a little bit about your early life. You were born and raised in Colombia. Can you tell us a little bit about your formative years and how it may have influenced the way you operate as a designer? Well, my, my early years in Colombia, since I was a little, little girl, I knew from the beginning that I was artistically inclined and, and, and good at it. I was that little girl that knew how to color and that was, you know, deemed, oh, she's going to be an artist. So that, that identity was practically forged inside me from the get-go. There was really never any doubt in my mind that that was my path and that was what I was going to be forever. Uh, so I never even considered anything else and just pursued very actively, again, since early childhood, uh, art classes. And my mother took me to all kinds of art events. And it was just very much a uh, definition of my essence. Then when it came time, time to college, I was already pretty much uh, well-trained because I had taken workshops outside of, uh, you know, academic uh, education. So I was very, very equipped. And I had a lot of success as a young emerging woman artist in my country. Uh, interior design was not something that was really on my radar. It was actually something that I did for fun. I was like that friend who would come over and do her her friend's rooms, or I would walk into somebody's house and say, that doesn't look right. So it was intuitive, but not. I didn't pursue an education in that because I really was very much deemed myself as an artist. Uh, so when I moved to Miami as, an, as a mom already, uh, Miami in 1980 was not, my, today's Miami, there was no art Basel or anything remotely like that. It was not really an art mecca at all. It was actually pretty much quite the contrary. So I needed to find a job and I f- was fortunate enough to find a job in an interior design office because I could draw. And somehow interior design got a hold of me and it just never went away. I always thought that I was an artist doing interior design. And then I look back at 25 years and I was still doing interior design. So I felt that I guess I was fortunate enough to find um, an outlet for my creative, my need to be creative. And it was also a, a, a beautiful career that I have enjoyed tremendously. And can you walk us through the process of becoming an interior designer? Is it necessary that you go to college? How do you gain experience? I mean, you know, the right way, I guess, would have been 
to go to school and get an education as one of my daughters did. Uh, so in my case, because I sort of defaulted into interiors by virtue of, uh, of the art component, it was something that I kind of learned on the fly. But I do believe that good taste and, uh, and sensi sensitivity and sensibility, you, you don't learn necessarily. You, acquire, you have it. It's how you, what you do with your raw talent and your skill set. So I guess an education definitely will, will you know, help you channel and hone all the skills to be successful. I kind of learned on the fly which was not the best way to learn, but that's just how it played out. But for anyone thinking of a career in interior design, I would definitely recommend getting an, uh, the, the proper education because the education gives you not just the, the skills and the knowledge, but the networking, the meeting people, future, my friends, my kids who, who, ha who studied interiors, they're still friends with all their friends. They all have different careers in the industry, but they all, you know, they are able to create synergies together and collaboration. So, there's something very, very valuable to be gained by pursuing the, edu the education component. And is there a licensing requirement to be an interior designer? It, it, to be an interior designer, yes. Uh, it's, it's, be, it's varied from state to state and different times. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, let's say in the 80s or in the 90s, it became regulated for the state of Florida. You you were required to have an, a license and a, a license number. You need to um, be qualified, take the, take the exam. You need to do continuous education to fulfill credits every couple of years. So it, it, you know, it, was, it has been regulated. I'm not really sure what the status is today, but it, it, it did become regulated that you needed to get a certification from the, from the state, which I think is a good and, thing. Mm -hmm. And can you talk to us a little bit more about your first job as an interior designer? What was it like? And did you make as much as you expected? You know, it was, it's funny because all my life, I, I, I dabbled, if you will, in interior design in a very intuitive fashion, like just how some people dress better and others don't like knowing how to put things together kind of thing. So for me, it was, it was more about that. But then this person who hired me saw in me the capacity to produce the drawings at least. So that's how I started working there. And then sooner than later, I, it, the whole thing just became way more uh, comprehensive, like doing way more things. And, um, and I, we saw from a business point of view, we saw things differently and, and it was, I, I just ended up being on, literally on my own. I never really thought that this was going to stick. You know, like I said, okay, I'm going to do one project and then another came and then another came. And then all of a sudden I was pregnant with my third daughter, breastfeeding my baby and on the phone on the, on the other line and tile samples in her, in her stroller. And I was like, wait, this is like really happening here. Uh, so when I finally realized maybe 10 years late, down the line that I had a successful career, I started thinking, wait, did I just like, like wing this and, and have a successful business just by winging it? So I started to get additional education. I went actually to and joined the business leader group that meets once a month called, it was a time called Tech. And it was, it's, a, it's an executive committee type of a uh, setup. And I learned way much more about business and, and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the actual key indicators and things that a business person should be aware of. And then the big, big deal thing for me was, um, back in 2011, I decided to take the mother of all the executive education programs. I went to Harvard Business School to do OPM, which is called Owner President Management Program. It's an immersive program that you take three years. I mean, you literally go live on campus one unit uh, for, per year. And it was the best experience of my life. It was 
literally a huge leap of faith for me as being brought up as a girl that knew how to color, but not necessarily how to add. Being in business school was incredibly daunting, but it was uh, something that I'm very proud of because it was really pushing myself to the, you know, to the max, literally getting out of my comfort zone and out of the box. And that was the most valuable um, thing that I had ever done in my life in terms of rounding out my my sense of self as a professional, as a strategist, what am I going to do? You know, what does chapter three of my professional life look like? So it was really like a, a pivotal moment. And then the, le- the learning that I got from that, that nothing is ever too late. You know, you could dream and fantasize about whatever you want as a child. And then along the way, if you feel you're missing something, go back and get it. There, you, there's no need not to, you know? So that was really for me a, a turning moment. And it opened up the, the road to another interesting chapter in my professional life, which is the product development. It, you know, having uh, the creative spark inside of you and then understanding better the, the comings and goings of the industry. Um, my daughter, who did get an interior design education and, and myself launched a, a product company where we design textiles, carpets, furniture, product for other uh, uh, companies. So we have licensing agreements and representation agreements. And that became a way to understand and value what it means to be a brand. You know, that I, I didn't know that, that just your name is your brand. You know, if you've been around in business long enough, People know your name and then you then you realize that more people know you than you than you than you realize. And then you realize that your brand is not what you say you are, but what other people say you are. So then you have to be very careful about your story, owning your story, controlling your story. But all of this, the value of the brand is what opened up the doors for us to to have, you know, products attached to our name that people were willing to to invest in. So that's been the last five years what we've been um working on in, in conjunction with the design practice. And it's it's a lot of fun because it gives you the opportunity to have something that's going to transcend beyond you. As you know, in fashion, there's, you know, Coco Chanel and Yves Saint Laurent, all these people are long gone, but the brand lives on and somebody else is stewarding the, the, the content of the brand. So that's kind of what we're shooting for. I mean, if I you know, presumptuously, obviously, and <laughs> uh, we're not Coco Chanel. But the point is, it's it's understanding that that the value of the brand was something I I got from my learning in in Harvard, and that became sort of like the something to hold on to because I always figured like, what does a design practice, a service business, how does it end? Like, do people just stop calling you and then you just lock the door and go away and, and that's that, or is there anything that can be you know salvaged or rescued from all this? And so I, I learned about the concept of intangible assets, which is basically everything that you've accumulated over a, a you know a, a lifetime career, which is your your knowledge, your your your, your contacts, your network, the, pe- the people you've met. All of that has a value. So, you know, think about how that value can be transferred and 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 used. So that's been the journey, you know, from a little girl who knew kind of color at three years old to a and somebody's grandma in Harvard Business School saying, how did I get here? It just didn't make, it's like, it was like taking a polar bear and putting it in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Totally out of character. My husband couldn't start stop laughing because he knows I can't balance a check. Because how are you going to go into those classes and take finance and, you know, all these like daunting, like uh, intense classes. But if I could do that, anybody can do anything. That was a big <laughs> jump. And so I want to transition into talking more about your current life. 
So how did you transition into owning your own company? So interestingly enough, I own my own company from day one. The minute I left the person that I started, I started working basically on my own. I mean, I didn't know at the time, I was maybe like in my late 20s, I didn't know that I had the merit to own my own company, but my, my company grew and became successful in spite of me. In other words, with no business training, with no understanding of what entrepreneurship even means, I just did it. You know, I just went to work and did my thing. And, you know, day by day, it just grew until I realized that I've sort of created this monster that needed to be reined in somehow. So I learned everything by doing it. How do you, how do you, uh, when you're a single person owner of a company, you do everything. How do you learn how to delegate? How do you stop yourself from micromanaging and being involved in everything? Who do you hire and who do you retain? I learned that on the fly. So I've made hundreds and hundreds and thousands of mistakes. But I've come to realize in the wisdom of, of, of my age that in mistakes is where there's the learning. If you don't mistakes, you don't know that you can do it better. So I'm at this point, you know, word of advice to anybody looking to own to own a business is allow yourself to make mistakes. You can plan, you can strategize, you can do a million things, but things happen. So if a mistake is made, you just don't sit and moan. You say, okay, where what is hidden? What is the message here? Where is the learning here? By doing this, I know that I'm never going to do it again. And I may learn how to prevent it from happening in the first place. So embrace mistakes and use them as opportunities for learning. And do and learn how to delegate. Understand that you cannot do everything. And like I, like I tell my people who are, let's say, under me or next to me, I'll, I'll tell them, look at your list of things to do today. Is there anything in this list that somebody else could be doing for you? And if that exists, do it. Don't you don't need to do everything. You don't need to control everything, and you don't need to to um, supervise everything. Get people that you can trust. Train them well. Teach them well. Let them make mistakes so that they can own their own their mistakes, and let them know when they make a dis- mistake. I'm a very matriarchal personality. I'm a mom, a grandma, so I tend to. And the people who work for me, I'm very matriarchal about them as well. So. There's, it doesn't do them any good if you coddle them and don't just because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. You have to hold them accountable and tell them, listen, you did, this was not correct. You could have done this. You know, how could you have done it better? Because those are all opportunities for learning. So the one message I can say, there's no fear for anybody to own their own business. It worked for me. I was I didn't I didn't know enough to know that what I was getting into because it sort of grew organically. But in hindsight, I don't think that I could, and I encourage my children and, and you know, my, my family, try to do, have, do your own thing. If you can make money for somebody else, you can make it for yourself. And can you talk to us a bit about what your projects are like? <clears throat> yeah, sure. I mean, when we first started, we were doing, you know, somebody's apartment, somebody's home. And then with time, it became like a home from the ground up and getting involved into the interior architecture. Then around 2010, more or less, we started getting, we were basically known for residential design, but we started getting calls for commercial projects. First one was a, a big renovation of a big spa. Then we got a call to do a hotel in China, which was really crazy. That was another leap of faith. And we did it. And so now, nowadays it's about 60% to 40% residential versus commercial. But we've done hotel designs. We've done um, public spaces of buildings. We've done a yacht. We've done, I mean, basically the way I see it is design is design. You can do anything 
You just have to focus on the program needs of the project. But basically, you look within yourself, your skills and whatever you don't own in terms of being able to fulfill the project, you outsource. So I never say no to anything that's an interesting project. And what culture or philosophy do you believe drives your design? Timelessness. Avoid trends. Well, sometimes in interviews, I'm asked, so what are the trends for the year? I want to say more often than not, I don't know because I shy away from trends. I like to think that a, a timeless project, you, you see it now and you come in 10 years later and it still looks current. That to me is what I aspire for. And the other thing is, you know, as an artist and an interior designer, when you do artistic expression, it's for yourself. It's feeding your, but when you're doing somebody's home, it's their home. So I think that the appropriate um, um, intention of a, of, a, of a designer should be to interpret the, the client's needs and fantasies and aspirations in a professional fashion, but make it their home. And so when, when we deliver a project, which we do in a, what they call a turnkey fashion, in other words, I'm, I don't allow my clients to come in and see the project until it's 100% finished. So the last month, no one's welcome. And then we receive the furniture and everything and we do the complete, you know, like on television, those shows where the people open the door and come in and boom, it's all finished. That's how we like to do it. And people come in and they're wowed. And it's not about that when they tell me it's beautiful. It's when they tell me, you got me. This is me. You understood me. So if it's timeless and appropriate, I feel like I've done my job. That's what we aspire for. And what do you look for in an interior designer when hiring at F&H Associates? What do I look for? You know, it's funny. I don't hire based on resume. I don't hire based on portfolios per se. I hire, there's a certain spark that you can see in the person that has that, that you can see there's a passion there that the, that it's not about just getting the job, but it's like entering this world. I, I don't know how to, exactly how to put it. Obviously resumes are important and where you worked and the training you've had, it's all very, very valuable. But there's got to be this certain something that that sets the person apart. And I think if you can feel that there's a certain passion, a certain, even how you present yourself, you know, if some, you, you can see there's some like style consciousness, you know what I mean? Even just the way you're put together. I cannot tell you how many times I was hired when I was starting just by the, what I was wearing. One time I walked into a present, uh, a meeting and the client looks at me, she says, you're hired. I said, what do you mean I'm hired? I haven't opened my mouth yet. She said, that belt, the, the way you put together that outfit with that belt, you're hired. And, All right. So it's that sort of intangible little moment of, of that we're seeing eye to eye somehow. You know, it's, it's, it's personal. And you have been involved in huge projects like designing for the Fendi Chateau, William Island Spa, and so much more. How did you land such large projects? So it was funny. When we did the Williams Island Spa, I, I was amazed myself that, that we got the project to begin with. It was um, when I got the phone call, I asked the person who called me, I said, why are you calling us? There's so many other designers that have, you know, expertise in hospitality and spa design and all that. I said, yeah, but this was just after the recession of 2008, which was really bad time for the industry. Everything was paralyzed. And so the, the person who was representing the spa, they said, when uh, now that we're, you know, people are starting to, to sort of come out of the of the dark and there's going to be a lot of money spent on renovation and that we want a, a, a name that stands out with integrity and your name came up. So, oh, I kind of love that. That was a very, very great thing to hear. 
Uh, and that's how it started on that end. And on Chateau Fendi was also very interesting. A client of mine had done a home for them in Golden Beach, a, a younger couple. It was their first home. And so they made a big dinner party uh, to sort of introduce the house. And I was invited. And the whole night I saw this man, um, sort of very sort of businessman, looking at the house and touching the walls and looking at everything very, very critically. And he came up to me. He says, congratulations, you did a beautiful job. The next day, my phone didn't stop ringing. He's calling me and calling me and calling me. And I didn't know who it was. I didn't recognize the number. Finally, I answered. So it was this guy. So it turned out he's the developer, the owner of Chateau Group. And he called me. He says, I want to go to your office. I'm doing a building here and I want to talk to you about it again, out of the blue. So before doing Chateau Fendi, we did for him Chateau Beach. And then when they got the opportunity to do Chateau Fendi, uh, we were already sort of um, in, you know, in a relationship with them. And, and that's how that happened. Luck. <laughs> <laughs> and can you talk to us a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like? Ooh, I, I, need, I need three hours, three hours at least for that. The day-to-day is basically what I like to call a controlled chaos. The, the atmosphere in an interior design office for me sometimes feels like a firehouse. There's always the things that you plan for, and then there's the fires you need to put out. Always something happens. So you have a, we, our, our, our week begins like this. Monday morning, we have a 9 a.m., our, our planning of the week. So on Friday afternoon, my team sets up priorities. So everybody knows what they're doing this week. And so everybody has their things to do. You know, we have different projects going on. Everybody's, and then things happen. Phone, the phone calls begin. This happened and that happened. Da, 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 da. So it's a madhouse. My children are grown. But when my children were little, it was intermingled with carpool, orthodontist, uh, gymnastics. You know, it was uh, j- jumping in and out of the, I used to call it jumping in and out of the cuisine art. You know, when I was in the office, on parade and then go take my children, do my things and come back. So it was always that crazy, uh, you know, balance of motherhood and, and homemaker and, and professional. Now it's all, all professional, but I spend most of my time nowadays is um, promoting the brand and just being the rainmaker for the firm, getting involved at the creative level. And then my implementation team makes the magic happen. And what are some pros and cons of your job? I mean, listen, I've been doing this for 40 years now. So it, clearly the pros outweigh the cons. The pros for me are it, it's given me an avenue to fuel my need to be creative. It's a beautiful industry, always surrounded by things of beauty and exciting people, creative people. I get, I'm a people person and I get to play that role of meeting new people and, you know, interacting with interesting people the cons are that as an interior designer you are pretty much an in-between person because you are between the client you're the client's advocate a psychologist therapist um, you know creative support etc etc but on, on the other end is the industry per se there's the showrooms there's the vendors there's the factories there's freight there's pandemics, there's, you know, electrician got sick. So there's a million moving parts that you have no control over, but you have to explain to the client. So it's, that's the tricky part because you, you, you're an inter, inter, in the middle of things with limited control 90% of the time. So that's tricky. 
And so you have children. What would you say is the biggest struggle about working while raising a family? The biggest, uh, I, and I would say that obviously in any career is that there's only so many hours in a day and, and you have to, uh, you have a responsibility to your home, to your family, to your children and to yourself. So it's, it's just a tremendous amount of proactive thinking to be able to um, carve out time for everything in the right fashion. In other words, you're not going to stay in the office till 10 o'clock at night and because that's just not fair to your children or to yourself. But you, if you have to deliver, you have to deliver. So I don't think there's a right answer. And I, I would say with many professional women at very, very high executive levels that I've spoken to, there is no one right answer. Uh, you know, the old Hillary Clinton statement, it takes a village, worked for me in the sense that my parents and my in-laws were very helpful with me when the kids were were growing up in terms of helping with carpools and helping with, uh, uh, you know, babysitting or whatever. But it, you just have to arm yourself, you know, with with support and help to be able to 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 help to do it. Now, my my daughter who works with me, it's very very difficult for her because she, her and I work together, so she doesn't have me as I had my mom and my mother in law to help me with. So, so she really struggles, you know, running back and forth. And, you know, I take one day and she takes another day and her husband takes another day as far as, you know, getting the kids around and everything. It's very, very tricky. And, and it, it, it's there's no form formulaic approach, but it is the, the, what worked for me was securing help, you know, like at a family level. And if there's no family around, you know, we have to figure it out. But you cannot be a, a half time business entrepreneur nor a half time mom. So it's, it's tricky. Funny enough, my kids, when I was little, I used to ask them, do you mind that mommy works? It's like, you don't really work, mom. I, and I don't want you to be, they, they said that because I worked while they were in school, but I would take them to school, come to the office, pick them up, you know, and, and somehow it like the big jigsaw was, was working out. So they didn't really feel it, but we wouldn't want you to be the kind of mom that stays home and bakes cookies. That was their thing. And I raised three daughters who all have, you know, master's degrees who are very, you know, academic, very professional. And, and I believe in that. I believe that, you know, we, we owe it to our children to teach them and give them the skills and motivation to be self-propelled, self-driven and, and prepared. And what are some of your personal and business goals over the next few years? So it's a very good question because my personal and business goals are kind of tied together. And that's what happens when you've owned a company for so long that you sort of define yourself by what you do. And I, I always tell my, my people that I mentor and all that, you, you, what you do is not who you are. It's just what you do. But it just becomes very much a part of your identity. Uh, as I as mentioned before, the product development company is a very, it's a big passion project for me because it allows to sort of, a transcendence of, of what we do. In other words, that something's left in the archives of our design practice of, of, of our aesthetic. Um, I, I'm very much enjoying doing mentoring. I mentor a group of, um, of high school students for the, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Solomon Leadership Program. It's a program for uh, high school students. So I'm a mentor in that group and I enjoy very much working with people of your generation and sort of sharing the wisdom and the learning and helping them you know, have another person to speak to in, in, in life. So I enjoy all that. And um, 
what I'm trying to do is reduce my working days a little bit so I could spend more time uh, sort of weaning myself from the day to day. And uh, uh, my, my hobbies and my passions are very sedentary. I, I'm a big reader and a crossword puzzle and an obsessive uh, words with friends player. So I do that in the wee hours of the morning and at night. But uh, the way I see it, uh, you know, as long, as long as I can be doing this, I'm very content doing it as long as I can stay at the creative level and not have to be so engaged in the operational part. So that's kind of like the game plan. And what habits or practices do you think are important to your success? I think that the key thing that I, that I basically live by and that I, I said to my group of, of, uh, that I mentor is living a life of integrity. And what does that mean? Integrity is, a, you know, it's, everybody understands what it is. For, but for me, I read this somewhere once and it stuck with me. Integrity is doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. So if I, every, every decision that I make, every step that I take professionally and personally is sort of underscored with that, under that premise of, of doing the right thing, even when somebody's, I feel that I've lived uh, you know, but I can look at myself in the mirror and feel satisfied. And that's just as a, as a human. From a design perspective, I think what I, what I bring to the practice and what I sort of my covenant with myself is to stay fresh, stay current, stay involved, continue learning. Learning is an operative word for me also. I, I'm a perpetual learner. And I think that that is what feeds, again, the, the, the creativity, the relevance, than what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. And what advice would you give to young aspiring female entrepreneurs? Trust yourself. Find something to do that you really, really love. In other words, it doesn't have to be terribly complicated. It doesn't have, you don't have to invent a wheel. Just pick a wheel that, that feels comforting to me, to you that you could feel engaged with that, that, it has enough of the things that drive you that you can enjoy, because if you enjoy it, you will do it well. Mm -hmm. And what habit are you most proud of that you think other women would benefit from implementing? Looking uh, at life through a lens of uh, enjoyment and laughter. I think that, that being able to be light about things, like take away the drama and bring in the laughter always works. You know, like think the world can be falling apart, but, you know, let's, let's, let's bring in some lightness, some humor, some, and, and that just alleviates because bad things always happen and, and they come and they go. It's like when you sit at the dentist and they're drilling your tooth, it's going to end. It's not going to be there forever. So just enjoy the ride, have a lot of laughs, have a lot of laughter, treat people kindly and with respect and you'll succeed. In, in getting people to align with you is, you know, in order to be able to fulfill your vision as an, an entrepreneur, you have to have a vision. Number one, what is it that I want to do? What's my mission? How am I going to do it? And get a team of people who believe in you and who are going to align with you. So if your personality is welcome, attractive, enjoyable, and you're fun, people will, will want to listen to your story and, and, and align with you. So, so that to me is like in, in a very, very basic uh, ABC. Mm-hmm. And what does the first and last hour of the day look like for you? The first minute of the day, every single day of my life is about gratitude. I open my eyes and make the list of the things that I'm grateful for and, and really say it, you know, really like consciously uh, say that. And then 
I start my day, funny enough, with doing the Wordle, words with friends, all the like competitive word games that I'm into. I don't like to just run out of bed, but but a, a couple of days a week I do yoga and walk and that and that's how the day begins that the day ends when i come home the very first thing i do is do a crossword puzzle for some reason it like changes the the the, the conversation in my head and it quiets me down and then i'm done there is no phone there's no communication anything work related nothing that's sort of the official act of and then if i if, if i have family home or if i'm doing something with my husband it's it's about quiet and personal time if there's no company and and that's that no work and last what books would you recommend to women for inspiration or knowledge okay i'm going to recommend two books that i think are important one is um there's a woman that i admire and respect tremendously who's who actually ended up being my client but she's a true inspiration her name is indra nuyi she was the ceo of pepsico a brilliant woman and the perfect example of gracious leadership and of a woman who's, you know, balanced. Uh, she would probably disagree with me, but, but who's gone through managing her life, her personal life and a highly demanding uh, job in a man's world. So her life story is very, very, very interesting and very uh, inspiring. And there's a book that I enjoyed reading and I say it to a lot of people, which is called Fierce Conversations. I don't know if in your age group you've ever been in a situation where you have this conversation that you that you have to have with somebody, but you never do, and you play it in your mind. I should have said this, and I'm going to say that, and why didn't I say this? And da, 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 da. So that teaches you how to take that conversation that's keeping you up at night and handing the ball over to the other person. And I thought that was very, very formative and very illuminating because sometimes you spend so much time practicing the conversation, but never saying it. So I believe that it's very empowering and very uh, liberating to get to pass on that fierce conversation. I and mean, there's so many books, but those two are books that that I think uh, I when uh, the Indra Nui's book I gave to my girls that I mentored last year in, in Solomon because I I thought there was a lot of learning there for the girls. And is there any other advice you would give to young women today about life, career choices, and starting your own business? About life. If you can, I, I'm going to reiterate what I said before. If you can live a life with integrity, you've covered 90% of the battle because at the end of the day, it's you in the morning and you at night looking at the mirror. You want to be that person that does everything with integrity. If you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be in business, every opportunity that you're faced with in life, there's always a choice of going this way or that way. So that's just the big, 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 the big theme. And as far as... Um, Look, from my experience, I, you know, there's people that would say that, you know, women belong at home and this is obviously not the, the, the norm anymore, but really, really uh, make, when you make a choice, understand that it's not all or nothing, you know, marriage and, and, and motherhood and career or career, you can have it both, but there is a price to pay that you have to be aware of. So let's say if you want to go into medicine for some reason. I would, if, if my daughter was sitting here telling me that, I would encourage her to find a field in medicine where the hours are not so all, you know, so 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 demanding. So, or that there's the, the window of time to have children. The other thing I would advise to women of your generation is: do not delay motherhood unnecessarily. 
If you were going to study long careers, freeze your eggs. I know this sounds really strange, but I've seen too many cases of people who, who find themselves, I have time for that. I have time. And then, and then you don't. So yes, go ahead, be an entrepreneur, be the doctor, be the leader, be whatever you want, but think that you're a woman that has an expiration date if you ever want to be a mother. That's the one thing you can't take back. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us today. We had so much fun. So did I. You were great. You have fantastic questions. I love doing this with you. It was great. Thank you. We hope Fanny helped guide you towards the right career choice. Stay tuned for our next episode on Be the Blank Your Mom Wants You to Marry. See you soon.